This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show here on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com. My name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. Before we get started, make sure if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, you subscribe, follow, etc. So you make sure you never miss an episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, whether it's these Saturday morning episodes or of course those midweek ones we have. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave that rate and review. It does help us out so much. We've had a spike in those, and therefore we've had a spike in listeners as well. Apple Podcasts, make sure to promote the podcasts that uh, do well on their platform. So uh, it, it's it's great that we that we have that happen from time to time. Kennington Smith, Iowa sports beat writer for the Des Moines Register, is joining us today. He's talking a little bit about that Caden Proctor Oregon visit, his thoughts on that, and then Iowa basketball, their win over Seton Hall earlier this week. Chris Roswick glue of the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media hops on to tell us about New Orleans signing legendary UNI running back David Johnson. He's back on an NFL roster, kind of. And then, of course, we've got Trevor Penning, an update on his health from Chris. So stick around for that. First, we have this ever-important UNI matchup with South Dakota this weekend in the Dakota Dome. And it's maybe kind of could have an effect on the Panthers' playoff hopes. And I'll elaborate on that um, in in a little bit later towards the end of this segment. But before we get to that, I do want to preview the game. And this one is is pretty weird. Of course, you and I coming off a, a bye week pretty late in the season you know you and I doesn't typically have a bye bye week this late nor do most teams of course South Dakota State has a bye week this week after finishing 10 and 0 against the FCS so crazy situation for them too and uh, on top of that you and I finishes typically their season at home but now of course they're going to be away at South Dakota in the Dakota Dome in Vermilion but and, and, you know, the weirdness just continues to add up for this game, especially when you look at who South Dakota is, too. And again, we have three things to watch regarding this game on the KOEL website, the KOEL app. So you can go check that out. It's from me, Elliot Clough. But it's weird for a lot of reasons. And the first thing that comes to mind is that USD is three and seven overall going into this game. And they're three and one at home. So how much do you take into consideration how good they are at home versus how tough their schedule was away and their one loss at home was was to North Dakota State? So what do you do with that information? They beat Southern Illinois at home uh, in the Dakota Dome as well as UNI beating SIU on the road. So how do you factor that in? How good is South Dakota? Because with this gauntlet of an off, or excuse me, um, non-conference schedule they played Montana when Montana was 
number one of the I think the number two team in uh, in the country at that point in time in the FCS, and that has a factor, right? That has an intimidation factor. They were in Missoula, so. I still consider that a, a really tough game. They lost 24-7, to and they also got throttled by Kansas State, 34-0. to And then after uh, that, that uh, they had their first win of the season against Cal Poly, they went on to... Uh, <laughs> To lose to number one and number two South Dakota State, or excuse me, yeah, South Dakota State and um, and North Dakota State, and then again they followed that up with wins over then number fourteen SIU and Missouri State at home. And on top of that, you throw in a quarterback's change, which I thought South Dakota was still going to be relevant this season despite their schedule. I thought they'd win some of these games they've lost, including like that game against uh, against who was it uh, Youngstown State at Youngstown State, like games like that. I thought they were for sure going to win those, especially having been good like they were last year. Uh, You know, they had Tice. I think it was Tice who got hurt in that first game. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, They had somebody get hurt and and a few guys transfer, if I remember correctly. Carson Camp was great as a freshman, a a true freshman for South Dakota. They went into the Unidome and beat the Panthers last year, 34-21. to And then Carson Camp gets benched for for Aiden Bowman, who was a three-star transfer from Iowa State. So how much do you take that into consideration? I mean, you know, Will McIlvain was was pretty solid, and then he got benched for Theo Day. So he's a Michigan State transfer. Like, how do you how do you gauge that? Is it just based on the fact that they were good and came from an FBS school, or is it truly because of how poorly the starting quarterback has been playing? So Take that into consideration. And then the fact that USD's offensive coordinator, they said he they mutually parted ways. He got fired in, in mid-October. And it's just, it's really difficult to gauge how good they are. I mean, Bowman's a solid uh, football player, too. He won MVFC Newcomer of the Week. Let's see here. I have it tagged in the uh, in the article, that preview article that I wrote. I believe I do, anyway. Yeah, he won the Newcomer of the Week after leading the the Coyotes to their win over against, or excuse me against Missouri State in just his second career start he threw for 235 35 yards and two touchdowns in that game he's a lefty uh which makes things a, a little bit more difficult but it's uh it, it's just it's just odd and to to know that they're 3 and 1 at home UNI is going to the dome uh, it's 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 a weird situation. It's tough to to determine who the Coyotes are, what they're going to bring to the table on Saturday. Granted, you and I is coming off a bye week. They might think their playoff hopes are gone, dashed. Who knows? Who really knows? I, I I'm I'm looking forward to this game for a variety of reasons. Obviously, you and I football still happening. It, it kind of felt like it was over this this last week, and and so it's it's good to see them back. But I'll, I'll throw the the mixed bag of goods to the side for a second uh, on on who South Dakota State is. And I want to talk about some of their rankings that kind of prove indeed who they are. Again, we didn't get into this in that preview article on the K- on the excuse me, the KOEL website. Um so so yeah, stick around for this here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com. I'm Elliot Clough, UNI Insider of Town Square Media. We're previewing that UNI versus South Dakota game this weekend in Vermilion. 
All right, I'm just going to go down the list. Offense, third down conversion, South Dakota, 95th in the country. Fourth down conversion, 123rd, literally dead last in the country. This is their offense. They've allowed four block kicks, which is 103rd in the country. Their offense is only 115th in first down, total first downs, rather. Uh, They're the 102nd ranked team in passing, 166.4 yards per game. They've allowed 100, excuse me, (laughs) they're 117th in sacks allowed, which is 34th, and somehow not last in the MBFC because Missouri State is that just atrocious at at, at allowing sacks. Uh, They're 110th in scoring at 16.5 points per game, and they're 108th in total offense at 291 yards per game. So... Those things are pretty telling of who the Coyotes are and what their offense is capable of, even with the change at quarterback and even with the gauntlet of a schedule. Like, ball don't lie, numbers don't lie. And then, of course, their defense ranks 107th in tackles for loss, and they rank 113th in time of possession, which is 26 minutes and 41 seconds per game. So the numbers the numbers tell the story to a degree. Obviously, like I mentioned, that flipping quarterback changes things a little bit and the fact that they're playing at home. Granted, the Dakota Dome, I watched the film of their game against Southern Illinois going into UNI's matchup with the Salukis, I don't know, like a month ago, three weeks ago. And that place, they were strategic with where they placed cameras. I'll tell you that. It was homecoming and there were very few people there. I don't know if it's the travel. I don't know if it's the circumstances of who they played at at the Dakota Dome, but that is not a uh, home field advantage like it once was. Sure, it'll get loud in there because it is a dome, but I, I I would put it. I would I would say that SIU game is an outlier. Beating Missouri State isn't the accomplishment that it once was, and Cal Poly's not a good football team, so. Factor that in, and it and it kind of makes sense as to why that team is three and one, and their home loss uh, being to North Dakota State. So, I assuming you and I comes into this game ready, assuming they do believe that they have a chance to get into the playoffs, then I would say that you and I wins this game handily, and, and we'll talk about the chance of the playoffs here in in just a second. But a couple other things to watch in this game. That I did include in that article, that preview article, is, well, number one, it's it's Matthew Cook. If he makes another field goal, he'll have sole possession of uh, ca- the career field goals record in the Missouri Valley Football Conference and at UNI, which is huge. Billy Holmgren, I want to say, is is who it was that set that record before. I got to look here. He's the kicker between 2006 and 2010. Yes, Billy Hallgren. No M in there. Billy Hallgren. He had 64 in that time period. So uh, it'd be a huge accomplishment for for Matthew Cook. The only other uh, kicker in FCS that has more career field goals right now is, let's see here, it is Skylar Davis from Elon who has 67. So uh, Matthew Cook, clearly, if not the best kicker in the FCS, one of the best. And he has deserved everything he's got. Credit works incredibly hard, and this season he's had that turnover with the holder and the snapper, and things just have really. He would have it already. I don't. I, I think he would have it already if it wasn't for that change, because he is such a good kicker and he's so talented and he's worked so hard. So uh, watch for that. If he makes that field goal, that'll be the case this weekend. And then, can you and I get to the quarterback, man? Like last season, this team had I want to say thirty six sacks. Over their, I think it was 12 games. This season they have 17 through 10. 
And granted, they had 12 sacks, which was a school record against Western Illinois last year in that in that final game of the season. But still, that's that's a significant significant difference in in sacks for for a team that has pass rushers like Devin Rice and and Cannon Butler, and of course Caden Hotelling and Christian Boyd now being out. I'm not sure if Christian Boyd's going to play this weekend, but but I know Caden Hotelling is, is not. That really, 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 really impacts their ability to get to the quarterback. Caden Hotelling, he had seven and a half sacks last season. This season, just a half a sack, uh, which which is telling of of how available he's been. And of course, that's that's got to be frustrating for him. Super talented kid. Uh, I've enjoyed every conversation I've had with him too. So just sad to see. You have to assume he'll get a medical red shirt and he'll be back for an extra season. But in total, over the last five games, you and I just has seven sacks. Didn't get to Nick Baker against SIU. Didn't get to Mark Gronowski against SDSU two weeks ago. And they only have, or they had five sacks against Missouri State, two sacks against Utah Tech. So they need to get to the quarterback. They need to get to Todd Bowman this week and and add up to that. You got to get over 20 sacks in one season. If you got the talent that you and I does. Uh, it'll be I mean, obviously it's it's going to be up to some some guys that you and I hasn't seen a, a ton of in terms of getting to the quarterback like like Jack Krebs and and um, you know Cannon Butler has been there he's got he's he's in the backfield but hasn't resulted in sacks you know and and the leader in sacks for you and I this year is is Spencer Cuvalier with three and I think Devin Rice has three as well so it's just telling if I remember correctly I think Jared Brinkman had ten last season maybe the season before that so this team really really needs to get to the quarterback and and they should again I mean you look at the stats USD ranks let's see here 117th and sacks allowed with 34 so you got to get to the quarterback against this team especially against the three-star lefty from from Iowa State and Bowman who who has shown some some pretty pretty he's shown talent We'll say that. And I think if he earns that job, Carson Camp will probably transfer to another FCS school and and he's deserving of it. And I think he's just had trouble with the pressure and the change in the offensive coordinator and so many different things this season. I, he is a talented kid, but you and I is going to have to rely on Cannon Butler, Devin Rice, Jack Creeps, Cordarius Bailey and Carter Hewitt to get to the quarterback this weekend. I'm going to assume they're probably going to go that four down lineman because they're not too worried about the passing offense, even with Bowman. And uh, the the running game is sort of USD's go to. So I'm assuming it's going to be four down linemen, and then you'll have Corby uh, Sander in that sort of quasi linebacker role along with uh, along with Edwin Deerman. So we'll see what happens this weekend. We'll see if if you and I can pull out the victory to end the season. And and I'll tell you what, you know, the thing that will determine you and I's playoff chances. It doesn't have anything to do with USD. I'll say that right now. It doesn't have anything to do to do with USD. You and I could win sixty three to zero, and I don't think that would affect how the how the committee looks at them and and considers their playoff chances. They have to win, and preferably it won't be close. You know, fourteen to twenty one points or more. But what really what really matters is how the committee looks at those games against Sacramento State. The fact that you and I got back in that game late. The game against like North Dakota, the two-point loss. The game against South Dakota State is the really big one in my opinion recent in 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 these these recent this recent stretch of games rather. 
because if they look at that and say, man, they almost beat the number one team in the country and had that leaping call not happened, maybe they go to overtime, maybe they win. Because if you and I won that football game, then they'd be in the playoffs. Like, no doubt about it in my mind. Not even a little bit. That is a playoff team. And if by if it's by that close of a margin that they're not, and they were receiving votes the last, not last week or the week before that, but the two weeks, I think, prior to that that game, they'd be in the top 25. They'd, granted, they'd be... They'd be Six and four right now, probably seven and four at the end of the season, and that's a much better playoff record than six and five, uh, just by the look of it. So, to me, it's it's what does the committee say in regards to that loss? What do they say when they look at that uh, close game against the number one team in the country and how close you and I played them, and do they deserve a playoff spot? So, once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. We're going to head to break here, but don't go anywhere. We have Kennington Lloyd-Smith from the Des Moines Register. He's talking with us a little bit about Iowa basketball and Caden Proctor going on that Oregon visit. We're going to be right here for more Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Iowa Meds basketball coming off a nice win last night over another team receiving votes in the AP poll, Seton Hall. That win comes at 83-67. On to talk with us now on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and is Kennington Lloyd-Smith, Iowa beat writer for the Des Moines Register. Kennington, big takeaways from last night, last night's win, rather, uh, how the Hawkeyes pulled off that, that W against the talented Pirates team. Yeah, I think that my biggest takeaway was there is no shortage of veteran leadership on the team. Last night was a contest in which Seton Hall pressed Iowa early and they put a lot of pressure on them and Iowa got down. They had to call an early timeout to kind of recalibrate. And the question that you're asking if you're watching from home is who is going to be the player that steps up and stabilizes this group? Jordan Bohannon has done that in the past as a veteran. Obviously, Keegan Murray was that guy last year. Who was going to be that guy this year? And Chris Murray answered the bell early on and really kind of put the offense on his back. And I think as the game went on, you saw Patrick McCaffrey making big plays. You saw Tony Perkins making big plays. You saw Philip Obrach and Aaron Euless and Connor McCaffrey. Several players had moments. And it just seems like this team is very balanced. Seems like they're, you know, very veteran, a lot of leadership, like I said. So that's exactly what you want to see from a from a team on the road for the first time and battling a little bit of adversity. So I thought it was the first big test for Iowa, but I believe they passed it with, with flying colors. And I think that you have to look at this team as one that, um, you know, is built to kind of contend throughout the season just because they have so many older players in the top part of their rotation. So I definitely want to talk about Chris Murray, Tony Perkins, some of these other guys who stepped up last night. The number one thing that I've seen in the time that I've been able to watch Iowa basketball this season is the fact that they're really lacking in the paint. You mentioned Philip Racha, but he's 6'8", 6'9". They don't really have a big guy to compete with some of these other big guys in the country. Did did Seton Hall try to expose that last night, or, or were they able to? Not really. I mean, Philip, he played 
the physicality that he played with was noticeable and comparatively to last year this year he just looks so much stronger and so much more confident I think that's probably a reason why he was able to um, kind of neutralize that size disadvantage I mean you look at his stat line last night 10 points 11 boards four blocks the picks that he was setting and I know that's there's not a statistic for how hard you set a pick but the picks he set on offense really sprung a lot of players open I'm thinking of the Patrick McCaffrey and one dunk Phillips set that screen at the top, really hard screen, allow Patrick free run at the rim. So the physicality that he's playing with this year, I think mitigates that because last year, I don't think he played with that same aggression, but I do think it is still a concern. I mean, last night, Iowa did a very good job of not getting into foul trouble. And when you're not in foul trouble, that type of a play can work with Phillip at the five and Chris Murray at the four. But if one of them gets into foul trouble and you have to go into that front court depth behind them, there are still going to be some question marks there with uh, Joshua Gundelin and Riley Mulvey as kind of the backup centers. So uh, something to monitor throughout the year. I think that Fran is still looking for those guys that he can trust off of the bench past Aaron Eulis and Connor McCaffrey. And that's going to be something that I'm going to be paying attention to a lot more as the non-conference schedule plays out. I was actually uh, planning on asking you about that. Only going seven deep last night in total. Two guys off the bench, of course, Josh Dix and DeSante Bowen getting a few minutes. I think Josh Dix got one minute and DeSante Bowen got three. So you can't really <laughs> count that as as going deep into your bench. Um, are you expecting that to be sort of a regular thing until maybe somebody proves their their worth off the bench this season? Is it going to be a short bench for, for the Hawkeyes in 2022-2023? I think it I think it definitely has the potential to. You look at last night with that game at Seton Hall, that was not a game for young players to be out there because Seton Hall puts a lot of ball pressure on and you saw I was veteran players turning it over and it was turning into Seton Hall runs. There was not I don't think a place for kind of like a true freshman who does, who hasn't built up that level of trust yet with friends to kind of perform in those moments and you look at the bench that Iowa had last year, Connor McCaffrey, veteran Aaron Eulis, Tony Perkins, Chris Murray have all played. And then uh, Peyton Sanford was the only freshman amongst a lot of guys who had already played. And then you look at this year's bench and you have Connor and Aaron, who obviously are vets. And then past them, you have a lot of uncertainty. You just don't have that same amount of experience. So I think that's that's probably the big reason why he's only going seven right now. I think it's just a matter of how quickly can DeSante and Josh Diggs develop. And I think you Got to throw Joshua Gunnelly in that conversation as well. Like how quickly can he earn the trust of the coaching staff to make this a nine deep, 10 deep team? So until that happens, I see them going seven. But like I said in my last point, that works well when you're not in foul trouble. So if Iowa can continue to do that, then they should be fine. But I would expect, you know, obviously those guys are going to get opportunities as the season goes on. But I think, you know, the the tournament in Florida that's next weekend, that'll probably be the next opportunity. We'll see maybe some guys know off the bench get a little bit more run they have nebraska omaha on monday so that'd be a game where everybody will get to play and then we'll see what happens in practice the following days after to see um, who can kind of continue gaining their trust again kennington smith from the des moines register on with us this morning on corn stocks and sports talk on am 950 koel and koel.com he's an iowa beat writer so talking a little bit about the hawkeyes on the court so far this season Chris Murray last night, 29 points. Uh, for, again, from what I've been able to see, you can kind of tell by watching the way he's playing, the way he's carrying himself. He knows that he's the guy and, and that this is the season where he bumps up his his draft stock. D- 
did did that show to you last night with those 29 points and, and the way he stepped up finishing with a double double? Yeah, I think that it, last night it made it definitively clear that he is the number one. And I feel like it's always been that case. But when you look at the quality of opponents in their first two games, he has he didn't need to just take the game over and score 30. Um, and I think in those first two games, he was a little bit passive to start. And then the game just naturally came to him. And he still finished with with great numbers. But I think last night was him being that assertive, give me the ball, let me kind of go to work and everybody's going to kind of feed off of off of me. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, he had at one point, Iowa went down 10 to three. Then he goes on his run and Seton Hall calls a timeout and it's 16, 13. And Chris has 12 points, almost as many as, as Seton Hall does. So you saw that. And then again, you just saw everybody kind of feed off of that and they just played together. So, you know, obviously it's not going to be um, the same as last year with Keegan. I don't think Chris is going to lead the nation in points or anything like that, but I don't think he has to because, again, the team is just so much more balanced than it was last year in terms of scoring and guys who can contribute. So Chris is going to continue to, to dominate. I feel like my biggest takeaway last night is we saw him scoring at all three levels, a little bit more than we saw in the first two games. You could tell he's really worked on his game a lot and then strong as well with the 11 rebounds. So I know that there were some scouts in attendance last night and um, he definitely impressed them. And I just expect him to continue to flourish in this in this role the rest of the year. Now, I know you're not necessarily uh, an NBA guy. You're, you cover the Hawkeyes, right? But how how much do you think that that Chris can improve his draft stock and how much Keegan's play this season can improve his draft stock? Yeah, I mean, you look at what, what Keegan is doing and naturally you think, OK, like if he took that leap, you know, Chris can take that that same leap and he can start to do those same things. When it comes to Chris's draft stock is really interesting because he's coming out in a year where. In NBA circles, this class is regarded as kind of like one of those potentially historic classes. You know, obviously at the top, you have Victor Wimignana, Scoot Henderson. There's a lot of depth down through the lottery. So in order for Chris to be in that conversation, he really is going to have to play at a really high level this year. I think right now I'll probably look at him as like a mid first round pick. I think if he can be, you know, I don't know if he'll be a 20 point per game scorer, but if he can be, you know, 18, nine rebounds, you know, a few assists, a few blocks, you know, just play well on defense and, you know, lead Iowa back to, you know, potentially another Big Ten championship. Those are the type of things that I think are going to solidify his stock. So he's a first round talent. I just think that teams need to see him do it for an entire season um, to just kind of validate those things. And I would expect him to be, you know, a first round pick, which again, would really say a lot considering how deep and how talented this 23 class is. Now, recently we talked to Sean Bach from 24-7 Sports about this 2023 basketball recruiting class. That was before I'm going to mess up how to pronounce this guy's name. Is it Laji Dembele? Yes. Okay. Laji Dembele decided to to commit to to play for the Hawks. Uh, These other three players were top 150 guys. How big of a win was it uh, getting a commit from from Dembele? And and what is he going to bring to Iowa City? Yeah, I think it, I think it was a big a big one just for for the reason that we've kind of talked about it already through the course of this conversation. Iowa's front court depth is in question, and you know Chris Murray is going to leave at the end of this year. Connor McCaffrey is going to leave. Philip Robach is going to leave. You need to replenish that front court, and I'm looking at Dembele as a physically impressive guy. I mean. 6869 you know already 230 pounds so he has that that weight on him he is a little bit more of like a raw prospect somebody who um, probably is not going to command a lot of minutes early but somebody who can be developed and eventually turn into um you know a frontline starter and if you look at Iowa and their track record with development you know Luca Garza 
Jaloise camp, and then with the, the Murrays now, and you look at what, you know, some of the younger players on the roster, the Peyton Sanford, you bring in um, a guy who you might consider as a project or somebody who wasn't as highly recruited as others, you have confidence that Fran and his staff will be able to develop him and, and bring him along. So, you know, and you're looking at the class, it fills out nicely. I think, you know, Brock Harding at point guard is going to provide some depth. Price Sanford, if he's anything, you know, like Peyton and from what Peyton and Fran said that Price had is a little bit more advanced, um, you know, than Peyton was at this stage. So you feel great about what he can bring. And then Owen Freeman, obviously another um, top rated guy who's going to be able to come in and compete at that front court. So you got three top 150 guys and you bring in Dembele as a little bit of a project and you got to feel really good about what that class can, can bring to the table, you know, once they all get on campus. Again, Kennington Smith from the Des Moines Register joining us this morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL and KOEL.com. He's an Iowa Hawkeye sports beat writer for the Des Moines Register. Now, let's flip sports here. It is also football season, which makes things crazy for guys like you and me, this crossover here. Right. But um, and, but sticking with recruiting, uh, the, the sort of topic of conversation at hand right now for everyone that either covers the Hawkeyes, watches the Hawkeyes, or is, is an Iowa fan, is is Caden Proctor having visited Oregon. Now, we talked about it on this this midweek episode that we had uh, earlier this week on, on Cornstalks and Sports Talk, but what are your thoughts, man? I mean, you cover the team, you cover <laughs> recruiting. Caden Proctor, a, obviously one of the biggest recruits in Iowa history, taking this official visit. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And um, I have a little bit of an interesting perspective because I've grown up in the South and I went to the University of Georgia. You know, obviously, when I'm not being a re- an objective reporter, I'm a Georgia fan and I follow their recruiting and everything that happens as well. And to me, I, I interpreted this as something that is very normal and commonplace when you're recruiting at the highest level. When you're somebody of Caden Proctor's um, acumen, just because he commits does not mean that other schools are not going to stop recruiting him. Because as Iowa fans know, when they poach recruits from the MAC or the SES or wherever else, nothing is official until it's signed on signing day. So teams are going to relentlessly recruit him and try to flip him away from Iowa. So that that's my first reaction is like, I'm not surprised that something, I'm not surprised that teams kept recruiting him. I'm a little surprised about the visit and the timing of the visit because he did seem very locked in with Iowa. If you remember his recruitment in the summertime, he had an opportunity to take all of his officials and he decided not to and narrowed it down. And then he just ended up committing to Iowa and he's been a very frequent visitor at Iowa games throughout this season. So on the surface, he did look very locked in. So I'm a little surprised from that aspect, but um, you know, this is recruiting. So, you know, things are, are subject to change. And if I'm a fan, I would probably be a little concerned just because signing day is a month away and he just pops up for this official and Oregon is rolling right now. I mean, let's just let's just be honest. Up until last week, they were in the playoff discussion. They're still in the Rose Bowl discussion. They're a top 10 team. They have a lot of momentum on the field and on the trail as, as well. So a uh, little bit of a, of a threat, but I feel like Iowa should still feel good about where they are, just considering everything um, leading into his recruitment and him committing to them over Alabama in the first place. So um, it's just something that we're going to have to, I think, wait a, a, a little while longer to see how everything plays out um, and, and just kind of go from there. So I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anybody to hit the panic button until there's actually a decommitment. Last thing for you, Kennington, before we let you go, I would take it on Minnesota today. It's going to be real cold in the Twin Cities. Uh, any any predictions for this game? You think Iowa pulls it out? Um, and and how is that temperature going to affect the game? 
Yeah, I mean, Iowa just has so much momentum right now, and I, I do think they're going to win the game. I think that there is going to be such an emphasis on stopping Mo Ibrahim from Minnesota, and if it is Kaliak Manis, the, the backup for Minnesota, he's going to be put into a pretty disadvantageous situation against Iowa's defense and Phil Parker if it's in a must-passing situation. I mean, I just look at it as them being able to confuse him and, and potentially cause a lot of mistakes. The weather's going to have a huge impact. Teams, Both teams are going to want to keep it on the ground. But I have more faith in Iowa's rush defense um, to to keep you know Minnesota at bay and maybe even create some opportunities for, for the offense. So I believe I have it around like 16 to 10 Iowa. I mean, it's going to be low scoring and it's going to be a physical one. But um, Iowa's going to be playing for a lot. I do believe Michigan will beat Illinois and kind of pave the way for Iowa to to win the West. So I think they're going to kind of, um, you know, take advantage of the opportunity and beat Minnesota and set up a kind of a winner take all against Nebraska. Man, who would have thought you'd be saying that a month ago? Not me. That's for sure. <laughs> Either, uh, he, yeah, it's, it sounds crazy right. as talking about it right now. Right. He is Kennington Lloyd-Smith from the Des Moines Register, Iowa beat writer there, joining us this morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Go give him a follow for all the Iowa recruiting, sports news, all that. It's at SkinnyKenny underscore on Twitter. Kennington, we appreciate you, man. For sure. Thank you. All righty, don't go anywhere. We got Chris Rosvaglu of the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media joining us up next to talk about former UNI legend and running back David Johnson signing to the practice squad for New Orleans. And of course, we get an update on Trevor Penning and his health as well. Stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and sports talk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Former UNI running back and one of the best to ever do it in a Panther uniform, David Johnson is officially back on an NFL team after signing a practice squad deal with the New Orleans Saints. Yes, he's officially a teammate of Trevor Penning now, UNI's first ever first-round NFL draft pick. On now on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Talk the signing and more is Chris Rosvaglu of the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media. Chris, from what I gather on Twitter, it appears the uh, Saints have been looking for running back depth all season. Um, obviously, David was there in, in camp, but no deal got done. Do you know what hampered getting that deal done this summer? You know, it was interesting. I, I, no one really came out with the full disclosure of it, but with the way it kind of went down, it felt like some type of contract language just didn't work out for them. As for what the language was, uh, no one really knows, but it's interesting because David Johnson was in the building. Is he the David Johnson of old? No, but the Saints had him in training camp. They like what they saw for the most part. Everyone loves his leadership. Everyone talks about David Johnson, the, the person in, in very high regard. And the Saints never figured out that whole running back situation. Obviously, Alvin Kamara has been Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram is another good leader, but they're waiting for that third back or kind of that second option if Ingram wasn't going to pan out. And unfortunately, he's been banged up. And even since not getting deal a uh, done deal with Johnson, they were looking for guys. They put in a claim for, Eno you know, Benjamin. That didn't work out. So 
the Saints have been in the market for it. It kind of makes sense that they go back to a guy who is a really quick learner and he's not going to have to learn about it at all. He already knows the system down in New Orleans. So now it makes a lot of sense. And with Dwayne Washington not really being that running back in, in a serviceable manner on the offense, he's more of a special teams guy. We'll see what happens. Maybe they kick the tires on, on David here, activate him, and, and he can do something for them on game days. So the the practice squad signing was uh, interesting, especially, you know, week 11, former pro bowler. Uh, but like you said, he's not the David Johnson, Johnson of old, of course. What's with the move and, and why now? Yeah, I think for, for starters, in terms of why now, the Saints have been big on when they're winning. It's it and it hasn't been a lot this year. It's been through the run game, right? You think of Taysom Hill having over 100 yards rushing against the Seahawks. You think of Alvin Kamara having. 150 plus scrimmage yards against the Raiders and and three touchdowns there. You think of even week one, the Saints, they they threw it through the, you know, most of the yards was through the air, but even at some points, Taysom Hill had some big runs there. And, and you think of it and you look at it, it's like, okay, great. There are moments where Taysom Hill kind of leads the, the charge offensively. There's moments where Alvin Kamara obviously does what he's been doing for the last five years, but the Saints need more depth there. You can't just rely on your playmakers week in, week out to give you 150 plus scrimmage yards, especially if defenses like last week with the Steelers come in eight men in the box and basically say Alvin Kamara is not going to beat us today. You need that complimentary piece. And ever since Mark Ingram's gone, you know, you know, down with an injury, the Saints have been looking around. They really haven't found that. They haven't really gotten that with Dwayne Washington. Jordan Howard, they they brought him in to see what he's what he's got left in the tank at this point. And honestly, uh, it doesn't seem like it's much at the moment. So the Saints end up moving on there. And I think it makes sense, you know, whatever worked out with David Johnson's perspective, obviously didn't work out the first time with them making a deal. But like you said, it's you're entering week 11. If you're David Johnson, you want to show the league you can still play. This is going to be a nice little showcase if he gets out on the field for about six, seven weeks to, to show teams even for next year what he can bring to the table if he gets that opportunity. So I think for New Orleans, it's all about a trying to find a complimentary back to Alvin Kamara, because right now Mark Ingram still isn't practicing because of his knee injury but also just getting more guys out there who are playmakers. The Saints really, injuries have hurt them this year a lot, especially on offense, and they're just lacking just constant, being able to make those kind of changes. You, you think when the Saints are at their best, they've had depth in the backfield. They just don't have that this year. And it's it's added playmaking and a veteran, uh, a guy who's done it before, who um, is going to be a great addition to your locker room too. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, uh, in terms of what David Johnson brings to the table, even though you're not expecting all pro David Johnson, the one thing that made David Johnson such an exciting player for so many years was he literally checked off every single box. You want him to be a hard-nosed runner, he can do that. You want him to be a great receiver out of the backfield, he did that in Bruce Arians' offense all the time. Uh, you need him on special teams, you can make plays on special teams, and obviously the leadership is just kind of an added bonus to all the gifts he had on the football field. So I think for the Saints, he gives them all that, and they really haven't had that with the other options. Like I said, Dwayne Washington, great special teams guy, but he really isn't a playmaker at running back on the offensive side of things. And you look around like Jordan Howard. Yeah, he's a bruiser back, but is he going to make plays out of the backfield? Even at this stage in his career, I think David Johnson can be a boost and an upgrade in certain capacities and guys like Jordan Howard, guys like Dwayne Washington. And for that move, I, th I think it's a, it's a no brainer at the very least. If something works, you get a little bit of upgrade and, and some production there. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You kick the tires on a veteran with six to seven weeks left in the season. And on top of that, too, something I just thought about is, I mean, obviously, he's not going to be your main back either. You got Alvin Kamara on the roster, so he can do really well in maybe limited snaps where you can get, you know, full bore David Johnson as opposed to expecting, you know, I don't know, 20 carries a game. Yeah, no, for sure, because when you looked at, you know, Mark Ingram in the RB2 role, the Saints are really giving him eight carries, some on good days, 10 carries. 
And look, if you're you're sitting there and you're David Johnson, if you give the Saints eight carries for I don't know, you know, thirty rushing yards, Saints will take that absolutely. I mean, they would they would definitely take that for sure because they're not getting that at the moment. And even if you think of Mark Ingram, his best game, he had about fifty rushing yards on ten carries for, against the Buccaneers in Week Two, and that before he fumbled the football was considered an awesome performance from that spot. So to your point, yeah, you're you're not really asked to just carry the load like you did in Arizona. You're just saying be good in the moments that they bring you out there, kind of those spot minutes and. Who knows? I, I, look, in terms of physique-wise, David Johnson is still in, in terrific shape. We saw that in training camp. I mean, the guy was out there, and he just built different compared to other running backs. So now it's just all about if he's still got that burst. And, and we'll see. And I, I do agree. I think the limited snaps makes it a little bit easier on him. There's not a lot of pressure here to carry the backfield. Again, we have Chris Rosvaglu from the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media on with us this morning on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Talking a little bit about that David Johnson signing, of course, former UNI great running back. Now, do you expect him to make that 53-man roster at any point in the coming weeks? I know we've kind of talking, been talking about it as if it's a formality, but um, considering he, he just signed to the practice squad, do, do you see him getting on that 53-man roster? At this rate, I would kind of be surprised if he doesn't at least get one crack at it just because we've seen the Saints over the last couple of weeks. Jordan Howard got a crack at it. Uh, the Monday night game against the Ravens, Dwayne Washington got a chance to get a couple of carries, had three carries there. And, and obviously that's not a huge workload, but he still got that opportunity. Jordan Howard and Dwayne Washington didn't provide anything. So if you're the Saints, why not? You know, Call him up maybe this Sunday against the Rams who have been banged up and five touches, six touches, whatever it might be. It might not even be a big number. But if he looks at least more explosive than the alternatives, the, the past two games, that would be a, you know upside for the Saints there. So I think we'll see what happens. Mark Ingram does not look like he's on track to play this weekend. So there goes the RB2 option. And for the Saints, it comes down to, do you want to activate Dwayne Washington for special teams? Do you maybe want to activate Dwayne Washington and call up David Johnson just to have that extra um, option there in the backfield? Either way, I, I would kind of be stunned if they don't play him for at least one game, especially because what we talked about before, this is a guy who you brought in training camp. You couldn't work out a deal before. I find it hard to believe they'd work out a deal this time around and he doesn't get at least one chance on a Sunday to show what he can do. Now, uh, given that the news has come out, obviously you and I Panther fans are, are, are hyped, you know, having an FCS program, you have guys here and there that make the league and, and obviously some guys get opportunities uh, every year, pretty much out of, out of you and I at this point. But um, what's the, reaction been from the saints fan base in, in the signing i know i looked at your twitter feed and i didn't see anything uh which i was like chris is always on top of things what's going on here uh but but um uh it, it just not something that's been super overwhelming for the saints fan base or is it just kind of like oh cool you know uh, tell me about that i think you know back in the summer when he was there in training camp there was definitely more reaction to it because you know there was pictures of david johnson with Kamara and ingram and you just think in total in just terms of their resumes putting them all together what they've accomplished in the nfl it's it's very hard to find a backfield in terms of put all their total yards together all their touchdowns find a better group in the nfl currently uh and saints fans are really pumped about that i can tell you i i mean I, any pictures uh, that Buku Media was getting on the ground there, I was putting on Twitter and I was excited to see. I, I think now more than ever, it's not a knock on David Johnson, more so Saints fans are just fatigued by the way this season has, has gone. <laughs> and they're at the point where, you know, like kind of you said, David Johnson gets signed and it's not like, oh, great, you know, an extra option for a playoff push. Saints fans are just kind of like, all right, like all right, one, one Sunday here and one's it over with. I, I think that more than anything, because the reaction to David Johnson's first time around with the Saints was way different than this time around. So, uh, but we'll see if, if David Johnson plays on a Sunday and he has a decent performance. I can tell you from now, knowing Saints fans, they'll get excited. We saw it back in the London game 
on October 2nd, Latavius Murray gets called back to the team, has a really good game. Saints fans get excited. And then, of course, he ends up getting poached by the Broncos later that week. But <laughs> Saints fans really got you know pumped up for that. So we'll see, man. David Johnson, if he, if he comes in and has a decent showing against the Rams or maybe two weeks from now against the 49ers, I can guarantee you the enthusiasm around him will definitely ramp up. And, and so I mentioned it at the at the top of the segment. Still no Trevor Penning at this point in the season with the Saints first round draft pick uh, this or excuse me this this spring. Uh, how bad are, are are the Saints in need of a of a really uh, a talented first or excuse me yeah a first round lineman uh, right now? Uh, I I saw I think again I looked at your timeline that um, there was a meme on there about facing the the uh, Rams D line this coming week. So so how how bad are they in need of of a guy like Trevor Penning right now? I think for two reasons. For for one, you mentioned the health part. Saints right now in terms of injuries. Their starting left tackles banged up. Andrew uh, Andres Peak, their starting left guards banged up. Their starting centers on IR. And, you know, Ryan Ramchuk, their star right tackle, he gets a lot of rest days here and there. So it's very rare to see him uh, at practice on Wednesday. So he's dealing with stuff all the time. He just ends up playing through it. But to your point, you got three starting linemen that are injured. And I think the thing that people want to see about Penning, there's two reasons for why everyone's excited for him. One is, you know, you draft him in the first round, a lot of potential there. Can he be your left tackle of the future? And if he can, that changes a lot because, you know, it really is hard to shore up that position. And Trevor definitely has the potential to do that. And then B, it's something that, you know, we've talked about before. Trevor Penning's nastiness and that that kind of edge that he has, the Saints can really use that right now. Because if you go back and look at the way the Saints played on Sunday against the Steelers, it's one thing to make one thing to make sloppy mistakes. It's other another thing to have turnovers and just end up losing a game. When you do it and the body language is off and your team looks disinterested and it, you kind of start to wonder, you know, as the losses start to pile up, are they still buying in? Are they still committed to the rest of the season? I, I think Trevor can kind of give them that that kind of jolt of energy they need. We saw it earlier this year. The Saints bring in Alante Taylor off IR, rookie cornerback. All of a sudden, the defense, the second game with him, ends up pitching a shutout. Now, I'm not saying the rookie directly pitched that shutout for them, but he did add that energy, and people fed off that. And I think for Trevor Penning, if he comes out here in a couple of weeks from now, and I do think we will see him sooner than later, I think that he could give this offensive line a jolt, and I think he could give this ground game a little bit of a shot in the arm that they can use because he does have that edge, and he does want to maul guys in the run game. And I think the Saints can absolutely use him out there. And if you're a fan and you're already punting on the season and saying no playoffs, well, this is one thing you're looking for. Does your rookie offensive tackle look like the the real deal? And we'll get to see at some point this year, and hopefully it's for you know more games than not, uh, that Trevor Penning is legit. So you mentioned uh, probably here in a couple of weeks that he'll at least hopefully be back. Uh, I take it the the injury and the rehab process is at least going somewhat well, considering he he might be able to make it back before the end of the season. Yeah. So I mean, you know, people. It's crazy. You know, I, I, you never think about it when you go through injuries. What are like the, the the worst ones in terms of timeline and stuff? You think a toe injury, like, ah, it's just a toe. But I mean, for four weeks, he had a he had to ride a scooter. Then four weeks, he had to go in a walking boot. Walking boots done. Uh, he was at practice on Wednesday. Now, people didn't see him for too long. He probably ended up doing some rehab uh, by himself individually, which is normal. That's kind of been the case. But the fact that he's already out there at the facility again, and then Dennis Allen, when asked about it, said that he's doubtful for this Sunday, but said things are progressing well. I would not be surprised if either next week or the following week we see him back out there. The Saints have a 21-day window that opened last week, so they're going to have to be very smart about this. If they end up missing that window and he doesn't get a play, Saints fans would be fuming about that. So 
I, I do think that maybe next week against the 49ers there's a possibility for Trevor Penning. What is the role? Do you thrust him into the starting lineup immediately? Do you let him, you know, develop as that sixth extra offensive lineman in those jumbo packages? I think that might be where he starts and then work and then kind of work his way up. But look, James Hurst is injured at left tackle. If the Saints want to kind of give him a shot and kind of throw him in the fire. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that, you know, I said throughout the preseason, Trevor Penning had a rough first game, looked really good. The second game then started off the third game outstanding before he ends up getting hurt, unfortunately. So I think we will see him at some point. He's saying all the right things. Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator has said that everything's going well in his recovery process. And the fact that we're even talking about, he's probably doubtful for this weekend. I feel like that's a good sign that whether it's a week from now or two weeks from now, he'll be back on the field. And I tell you what, at this point in the season, a guy coming from the FCS to the NFL reps are just important right now. Yeah, 1000%. And and for him, look, the Saints didn't take him for the 2022 season. Of course, they would love for him to be a big factor this year, but they took him because you see Trevor Penning's potential and you see like the fact that this guy at that level and you throw him in the senior bowl, make some splash plays and you see the raw talent with the speed and the power and say, all right, you know, this is someone that. Yeah, right away, he's not going to be our franchise left tackle, but in two, three, four, five years from now, he's going to be someone who could be dynamic, and it's just fitting because he's replacing a guy in Toronto Armstead who came from a small school. So I think it fits the mold, and to your point, Trevor Penning would benefit a ton from, let's say he gets four starts at the end of the season. That would help his growth next year. He probably won't have as many rookie hurdles to go over in his second year. It doesn't really feel so much as a red shirt year next season. So I think for him, any type of reps he can get this year will be great. I think he will get reps. And look, if you're the Saints, if he starts looking good in, in smaller packages that you throw him in, I think you got to keep increasing that workload. It makes no sense not to. Uh, so absolutely, reps for Trevor Penning, kind of all that matters right now for him. He is Chris Rosvaglu at Rosvaglu Report on Twitter. Go give him a follow. You want to follow along with Trevor Penning and David Johnson there in New Orleans. He's from the Straight Up Saints podcast and Boot Crew Media. Chris, always good talking with you, man. Thank you for having me, Elliot. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Don't forget, before you go, make sure you subscribe or follow so you don't miss any episodes of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Of course, we have that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, the KOEL app, and more. You can always listen to our guest segments on YouTube. Those are always available. So if you miss any part of today's show, you can listen to those, or you can go find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. My name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media, and this was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.